Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that paved their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode. There's very few people that you can tell good news that will actually be happy for you. Yes. But the ones that are happy for you that want to celebrate with you, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that you should surround yourself with. The people that aren't happy or that speak negativity into it. Oh, that's not going to work. Why are you going to try that? Do you know how hard that's going to be? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, like you're not going to do anything that you've never done before because it's going to be easy because you wouldn't learn anything. So I think the the most important thing is don't let the crabs that want to stay in the bucket keep you from getting out of it. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of the First Generations Podcast. Today's guest is a multiple award-winning tattoo artist that specializes in large-scale illustrative pieces. Throughout his life, he has taken the time to study many different cultures and has become educated in regards to multiple cultural myths and legends. He is one of the very few that is willing to take on large-scale cover-up projects and turning them into masterpieces. I personally have the privilege to represent his work on my body and was referred to him from a mutual friend of mine. Now in this episode, we will talk about how our guest had started his tattooing journey and the changing trends in the tattoo culture with ink becoming more and more widely accepted in our society. We also share some lore and stories commonly found with many tattoo pieces from different cultures. And we also share and elaborate on life lessons that is very significant and can be commonly interpreted within this tattooing industry. I am honored to present you our guest for today, Jared Fair. Hey, Jared, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm grateful, man. The weather's been amazing. The past two days, it's been 30 degrees Celsius. So for our American listeners, that's roughly about, I believe, 100? Yeah, somewhere. I think it's around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere around there. Uh, Don't quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been nice. And uh, sweaty and humid, a little, a little bit more humid from where we're at. I found. <laughs> Mosquitoes yeah. are crazy, though. Don't like them. Oh, tell me about it. Like yesterday night, I was at a friend or a couple of friends from Grand Prairie come in and I was babysitting them. And we were out at the patio on White Ave at O'Burns. Yeah. And we were just being eaten alive, like while trying to eat our sandwiches and trying to eat our yeah. finger food. And it's uh, I don't miss that aspect for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. So during our current times, what is one thing you are most grateful for at this moment? Currently in my life, I'm grateful for the life I get to have and the people that are in it. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, the hard work that went into building the foundation to be able to have my life with Mm -hmm. the quality of people that are in it. Like I'm, you know, I'm thankful for the work that I put in, not, not giving up or giving into all the negative yeah and uh yeah it's just i don't know i wake up every day and i just appreciate what i have and who i get to spend my time with and you know i get to come into an awesome i don't even want to say work because it doesn't feel like work to me i get to come in and hang out and do awesome artwork on cool ass people it brings a smile to my face just hearing that because i personally feel within like now our day and age Many individuals, not all, but um, I feel that many individuals tend to struggle with that, especially when, like you said, going into work, it doesn't feel like work. Like many individuals struggle trying to find that. Yeah. 
No, so yeah, no, that that is definitely huge. And I just wanted like just a quick check. Your family's doing well too. Kids are doing well. Kids are good. Um, My son is actually going to be living with us for school this year, which I'm really excited about. He's super excited about that prospect. They're doing well. We just had my son's birthday. That was good to celebrate. We took him on go-karting, so it was really fun. Mom's doing well. I haven't heard from my brother for over a year. I just, I hope he's doing well and that uh, he's managed to get his life together and he's enjoying it. Oh, yeah. That is definitely good to hear. Did you guys go to the west side for go-karting or did you just go up to the north side? Uh, I think it's No, we, uh, no, because uh, we called around to a bunch okay. of places and they, they didn't actually have the dual carts where you could bring your kids with you because we, we have a seven and nine-year-old, so they can't drive their own carts. So we actually went to Sylvan Lake for the day. Oh, okay. Oh, that's super yeah. neat. Yeah, it was yeah. a good, good time. So just to provide our audience with a little bit of context, essentially for myself, I've always wanted a tattoo. And with, with you being yeah. a tattoo artist, like my initial plan actually was, you know, I, I placed a deposit, booked a deposit with an artist out in Toronto. And her name, her name was like Karen Tattoo. And she specialized in like paintbrush work. And at the time, I my plan was, you know, I'll go, I'll fly to Toronto, get work done there. And turned out she ended up going to school. And so she canceled her books. And that didn't work out for me. So I reached out to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike. Shout out yeah. to Mike. And yeah. Yeah, right off the bat, I just asked for his perspective. And he just laid out the whole process and he's like yo you got to go to jared like check out jared and then that's when he started going deep into his tattoos is he's like jared did this jared fixed that and blah 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 right so i'm like okay i'm sold yeah. already so uh essentially <laughs> that's when i made my phone call and not sorry not the phone call the email email and that's when we first met at our, at our consult initially so yeah. that's how we met just, just for our listeners and yeah ever since then like i've had an amazing leg piece that i i look at every day and and it, it's a reminder myself of where i am today and, and i'm incredibly grateful for that yeah you're the first tattoo artist we have on our platform and i'm yeah. very excited about that because i really wanted to dive into the whole aspect of it and even including your early life and how you were introduced to tattooing and entry of like your process of entering that whole profession so starting off then was tattooing something you knew you were going to be doing at a very young age like were there any signs or subtle hints like maybe interests or hobbies from your childhood that might or may have aligned with you know tattooing today um i wouldn't say specifically tattooing it yeah. was art i really enjoyed art creating taking a blank sheet of paper and making something out of it that would be interesting to to look at or just even uh wouldn't be the word like it, it's it's been a therapeutic thing mm-hmm. for me so when i started drawing i was just like interested it's like oh this is super neat this is something i can just do anytime basically and then as I grew up through school, um, I mean, like, even to this day, I got like three friends that I could actually call my friends that I grew up with. Um, it was, I just got bullied, picked on. I was a small kid. I was four foot 11 until like grade 10. And then I grew three inches. So I was still five foot two. So when I would have those rough days, I would go home and I would sit in my room and I would just like focus on that piece of paper. Cause that piece of paper was something that when I was there, there was nothing else. So it, it allowed me to kind of like, I guess, subconsciously process or not let that stuff get to me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
you know, through school, you know, you do your career and personal planning classes. Like, what do you want to do in five years, your 10 year plan, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I didn't tattooing wasn't on the radar because I grew up in a town without a tattoo shop. And the nearest one was an hour and a half away. And, you know, you generally didn't want to go get tattooed there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I never really considered it. Yeah. I'd say until I got out of school, my dad had a tattoo and it fascinated the shit out of me when I was younger. And I always looked at it like, man, it's just so cool. Like, how did they make that? How did they draw a picture in your skin? Like, it's, it's not a piece of paper. And it just, it always sat in the back of my mind. Like, man, that's, I really like that. Like, there's something to it. And then, uh, so when I went through school, graduated, I started, I met a couple of guys when I worked at Ski Hill and they had a clothing company. So I showed them my drawings. Oh man, this is awesome. You should come do artwork for us. I'm like, sweet. So I did, hung out with them, did artwork for a couple of years for their clothing company. They had, the guy that was in control of the money never paid me. So oh. it was just like frustration. And then they started saying tattooing because you're really good at art. And I'm like, well, you guys don't fucking pay me. So how can I afford to even start that process? So <laughs> there's a lot to it that you have to know to be able to tattoo properly and safely. And even just the technical process of tattooing, you need to seek a mentor to do it properly. So I started experimenting and uh, eventually, so that was probably a couple months. I, I had very limited stuff. So the kit came with disposable supplies. So I, I tattooed my calves. They're awful. Like <laughs> They're awful. There's nothing more to say. But honestly, not the worst that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So there was also something to that. And then I want to say about six months after I started tattooing myself, one of my friends that I went to school with who had moved to Vancouver randomly gave me a call like I don't think I had spoken to him in about three years at this point yeah and he gave me a call and he says hey man you're, you're, you you want to get into tattooing right and I'm like yeah like there's just a place to go but actually I did go to Cranbrook and I showed them the trash I tattooed on my calf and they wanted me to tattoo the owner for a job and I'm like no, no I need an apprenticeship I need somebody to sit down and teach me and instruct me I don't want to be like I don't want to walk in as as quote a tattoo artist because i just know what i'm doing yeah they just they're like oh man that's so awesome like tattoo me for your job application like dude like like no i'm not gonna tattoo you because it's gonna be hot garbage no thanks so i kind of wrote that off as an opportunity and so my buddy called me and he says i'm going to edmonton next week to start piercing you should come with me so i thought about it for about 30 seconds i'm like yeah i'm down so I called my <laughs> boss when I got off the phone, <laughs> told my boss that I was going to go to Edmonton for a week just to see. So I needed a week off after that Friday. So on that trip, I bought a return ticket because I knew I had to come back and kind of tie up loose ends. So he gave me the week off. So he's like, okay, cool. This is a crazy opportunity for you. And he saw it and I, I really respected him not being a typical boss and like, saying no you can't go like this and that he's just like okay cool man like so i came up for a week and i i had something lined up at a shop that i wouldn't really consider a shop because of you know the people that they have or like that kind of stuff so again i go there and they want me to tattoo clients and i said no 
because I need to be educated. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to teach me how to do this properly. So I lasted two days. I'm like, I quit. I can't do this. So within that week, the first week that I came to Edmonton, I essentially became homeless for four of the seven days this year because I was staying at the owner's house. Yeah. And he kicked us out when we were like, I can't do this because you, you don't want to apprentice me. And I don't want to be tattooing people and charging them. Like, I just don't know. And you're not willing to teach me. You don't have somebody that's going to sit there and instruct me how to do this. So I can't. So yeah, he booted us out. We were at Sherlock's and Mall and we met somebody and they're telling us like, oh yeah, we're probably going to have to stay in the mall and like the fucking hallways underneath and this and that. She's like, well, I'm having a house party. You're more than welcome to crash until I go to bed. It's like, oh my God, like that's amazing. So we go to her place. She has her party. I think four or five o'clock in the morning, she booted us out. We're like, thank you so much <laughs> for that. It was an extra day to find a place. And uh, so yeah, we ended up finding. So my brother worked at the Hooters okay. and quit about six months before I ended up coming to Edmonton. So they already knew who I was because I had drawn a couple pictures for one of the chefs when he worked there. So they already knew me through him. So when I was telling my explaining my situation one of the chef one of the cooks was like yeah man you can come stay with us like my roommates aren't gonna care like oh my god that's beautiful so i ended up living with him when i made the permanent move back to edmonton until we got kicked out with a 24-hour notice (laughs) it's been a crazy experience Uh, so after i left that shop i went to another shop and i spoke to one of their senior artists at the time Mm-hmm. And it was just like, by chance, I happened to be walking there. He was walking out and I'm like, Hey man, do you work here? He's like, yeah, what can I help you with? And I explained like, look, man, I'm looking for an apprenticeship. I have my drawings. Like I just need to talk to somebody to see if it's an opportunity that you guys are willing to take on. He's like, well, we actually had a couple of apprentices that went from apprentice to artist. So we do have an availability for it. He's like, let's sit down and, and let's sit down and see. So we went through my artwork and uh, he's like, you won't be tattooing right away. And I'm like, dude, like, you're the first person that has said that. Like, that's what I want. I don't want to be tattooing until you feel confident that I know enough to do an adequate job, especially for paying clientele. Yeah. And uh, after that meeting, I had a spot there. And he's like, when can you start full time? And so I said, man, give me two weeks. I got to put in my notice back home and I'll be back out and I'll be full time. When I went back home, I gave him my two weeks. My boss there was kind of sad, but he understood Mm. what was on the table for me. And he's like, he wished me the best wishes and bought a one-way ticket, packed a duffel bag and a backpack and got rid of everything else. And yeah, started my journey in tattooing. Oh yeah. Thank thank you for sharing that, Jared. Man, that's, that's, that's a lot like to process. I can't even imagine just being, (laughs) just being that scenario. Yeah. Well, it was, and like I said, like that's just within a, a three week span of me coming to Edmonton for the first time. And like, man, major culture shock. When I was in the mall, there's more people that work in that mall than the town I grew up in my whole life. Like it was, it was <laughs> crazy, incredible, stressful. Yeah. Like everything about it was just, yeah, it was hard to, uh, to take it all in and realize how drastic of a change it was until it started to sink in. It's just like, Holy fuck. Like this is crazy. So you've kind of touched upon your apprenticeship like how you've started with it which i really respect you for that with the tattooing industry i've only heard things like not confirmed but i think even heard things about 
from you too about and how like the whole industry is changing but like within our society there has been an increase in popularity for many individuals wanting to become a tattoo artist these days right because it's more accepted yeah. like even back then just a little short story like my grandma back then when i was like six or seven asked yeah sorry my grandma and my piano teacher actually asked me what i wanted to be when i grow up i said two yeah. things either a bartender or a tattoo artist and like that was frowned upon in my culture <laughs> you know yeah but i enjoyed it because like you know i thought tattoos were amazing i felt like it was like a rite of passage like my uncles had it my yeah. dad's friends all had it and you know I, I feel that in our day and age many don't realize what it actually takes for many successful artists to get to where they are today and i look at you as a very yeah. successful artist so you've shared about how your apprenticeship is appreciate like. that like, what does it actually look like for many ta- tattoo artists back in the day? Because, like, I've also heard of stories where, for example, in Japan, a lot of the people that apprentice there, they don't even tattoo until, like, five or ten years. Yeah, the uh, like a short apprenticeship in Japan is about five years. Yeah. So, and from what I learned, what I read from the research that was available to me, yeah, it was, so the first year, you wouldn't even be in the shop. You'd be greeting clients outside of the shop. The second year you would be in the shop doing the, you know, the little tasks that need to be done, like dusting, cleaning mm-hmm. and like talking to clients, that kind of thing. And the whole time you're putting in work at home to develop your artistic skill. The third year is drawing, I believe. Fourth year you start to do tattoos. Fifth year you're actually doing tattoos. And from what I learned, it's about five years and then they would start to process to be able to like actually take on clients to design the large scale tattoos and everything. Mm-hmm. But an apprentice with style tattooing, once they're done their apprenticeship, they're capable of doing body suits. Whereas I, I think in North America, it's very watered down to a lot of the education that you receive in a, in a large portion. There's a lot of guys that still demand and have high expectations of their apprentices, which I feel you should have mm-hmm. because if you're going to teach somebody you better teach them everything that they need to know to be able to do it on their own mm-hmm. or to be able to uh, to do it to the extent where you want to say that you taught them mm. so i just see like attitudes of the people that want to tattoo there's yeah. just a lot of grown babies you know like they get <laughs> treated poorly or you know they're told to sweep them up the floor twice in one day or whatever it might be. Like, I remember I had, uh, I was training somebody and uh, I was having her draw a koi fish and it's like, okay, cool. Draw it again. So she shows me the second one. I'm like, ah, oh, that's awesome. Draw it one more time. And then you can see the frustration starting. Yeah. And when she showed me the third one, I'm like, I just looked at it. I made direct eye contact with her. I crumpled up into a ball and I, threw it in the garbage didn't break eye contact with her and then i just said now that you've drawn it three times the fourth time should be really really easy for you so instead of doing the fourth one she went into a different room closed the door and then left without saying anything at the end of the night oh wow so the following day i told her there's the front door nobody's stopping you from using it if you can't handle criticism from me while you're developing your drawing skill and learning how to do something that you've never done before and how to refine it and how to change things that don't look quite right, mm-hmm. how are you going to be able to handle criticism from a client when they say they don't like your drawing? Mm. How are you going to be able to handle that situation when somebody says, 
can you change this? Can you modify this? Because this artwork isn't for you. You're putting it on somebody else that's paying you to do artwork on them and they have to carry it. If they're coming to you to say, do whatever you want, you get freedom. But if they have an idea in their head, you have to match their idea. Hmm. So if there's details or if there's shapes or if there's structure or if there's any changes that they want, you have to be able to do it and you have to be able to do it quickly. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and that was, I don't know, some people aren't capable of allowing criticism from somebody that isn't quote unquote an artist themselves because they don't think that they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But again, the artwork that you're producing for a client isn't for you. If somebody wants one of my prints, I'm going to tattoo that print on them because that's what they said they liked. So mm-hmm. cool. That's awesome. This is going to be super fun because I draw some really weird shit and I like tattooing it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, when a client comes in and they have a specific idea in mind yeah, and you don't nail it the first time, or if you have a, a if you don't get the artistic vision when you're drawing their piece that matches what they request. Yes. Are you just going to have a crying fit when they say they don't like it? And then you're going to cancel all their appointments because they ask you to change something. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to say, okay, what do I need to do differently? Like, what can I change on this now that I have something and you see something that I've produced? How can we modify this to suit your taste or to suit your vision? Because this is after all for you and not for me. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. And then, the, you know, there's some guys that just get it and like, they bust their ass. They understand that it's a lot of work. And, you know, I, I feel like those are the ones that are the most successful when it comes time for them to do their own thing and have their own clientele and handle, you know, their own shops or their own business or, you know, anything like that, because they understand that you're producing artwork for somebody. And if you want to maintain clientele and, and have happy clients, you can't just do awesome artwork that you want to do all the time you have to cater to them. Yeah. It's, it definitely sounds like the whole environment is starting to change in in terms of people or that are interested in, you know, getting into it. And um, I I think that that probably aligns with the, you know, the saying they're saying like, Oh, millennials are soft, but Gen, you know, like the, 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 (laughs) you know, and then the next generation, I think it's Gen Z. It's like, Oh, like they're snowflakes, you know, it's (laughs) yeah. Not saying all, but like the majority of it, right? That whole saying. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And like, it it seems like a lot of people are afraid of hard work, but I mean, skill development is nothing but hard work. hundred percent. Thank you for sharing that, Jared. And you shared about like how you started tattooing your calves and you know, how you got your apprenticeship. Is it fair to say that those, the calf tattoos that you did, you gave yourself were your first tattoo? No, I got a couple crummy tattoos from a guy down at Cranbrook before I started. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, cause I was, you know, like I, I started getting tattooed before I had the opportunity to work for that clothing company. Yes. And, uh, cause like I said, like they just fascinated me. So I was always like tattoos are the coolest thing because you're actually, you're making a living picture. Yeah. It's not paint. It's not paint drying on a canvas. It's not pencils, markers that are static. It constantly, like it moves and it, it has its own life with the client that you put it on. Mm-hmm. So that aspect always intrigued me. Uh-huh. So I started getting just <laughs> dumb tattoos, but I also feel like I started collecting them in relation to my self-worth. Yeah. So if I had tattoos people could look at the tattoos and not necessarily look at me. 
it was, it was, yeah weird realizations later on in life and yeah yeah and that relates to how i grew up and why i aligned with artwork more than you know going out and doing team sports i hated team sports yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh it's crazy too because actually very recently um I'm in therapy, I'm in coaching right now. And I just connected the dots on why I really like tattoos. And I kind of mentioned earlier for myself, like my dad growing up and, you know, my, my dad wasn't like your model citizen and my uncles and his friends that, you know, were around me, they were essentially my role models. Right. And they were all tatted up and um, doing some work. I was sharing with, with my coach slash therapist, how, the two things that hold the most significance to me at this very moment or yeah, like at the time of that conversation was my Nintendo switch when it comes yeah. to material things or things I've spent on myself would be my Nintendo switch and the tag yeah. and the, and that piece that you worked on myself. And I could never, yeah. I couldn't understand why, but like, you know, I don't play, I don't like, it's been a while since I've game. My Nintendo switch like sits on sits and collects dust. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. been collecting dust since. And until I actually realized and did, did like a deep dive, like, yeah, it's, it's all traumatic and it's connecting the dots from the past where for myself with my tattoo, I guess I wanted to share is that there's one time where my dad and his goons or his, I call them goons, but his, my uncles and my, <laughs> and his friends, they were hanging around and my mom was at work. So I was just chilling in my bedroom and I, I, I had a permanent marker. So I started drawing on myself. Right. And I started yeah. drawing like tigers, zebras, whatever that was like. I could think of all over my body, all, all, all on my skin. And I was so proud of it. And yeah. I wanted to show my dad because I thought he'd be proud of it, proud of me as well. Like to me, it seemed like a rite of passage. Right. And and when I went to show him, he was so furious. Like it, it, I felt so blindsided because I, I just felt so blindsided. And what he did was he gave me a bar of soap. And he was like, you have till tomorrow morning before you go to school to rub, to basically clean this all off. If you don't, yeah. you're going to school with no pants diaper and in a diaper. And I was like in grade two or three at this time. Oh, no. So, but because of that experience, it's like, I look at tattoos as like a rite of passage and I connecting the dots. It's, it, it's also why, like, yeah. you know, this piece that you've done for me specifically, it has a lot of symbolism and meaning to it it reminds me of who i am and it reminds me of this incident but not in a negative sense it reminds me of this incident and to be better you know to to take that take a take the high road and you know just to not do that not to internalize that trauma and be like hey i'm i'm growing as a person and this is something i need to acknowledge and i have so yeah so that's my start my that's my story of like connecting the dots of tattooing and um, I want to thank yeah. you. I want to thank you for sharing with how tattoos tied to your self-worth because that's also another big thing. And with life, I find the more we do the work, do the self-work, we we start tying a lot of things that we do with our behaviors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Doing the doing the shadow work, exploring the dark side, the, yeah. the dark half of your of what makes you you. In a couple of your other podcasts I was listening to, um, they talk about that and they talk about the balance and honoring, you know, mm-hmm. the divine masculine, divine feminine, the light and the dark. And, you know, the, the power of positive thought isn't actually positive thought. It, it aligns more with the belief. Yeah. So, you know, like ignoring the darkness just seems to create more of it. It's harder to appreciate the light because, you know, you don't acknowledge the things that become subconscious that kind of, I want to say until you realize dictate your actions, your choices, and even the, the circumstances of your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
yeah, it was it was a pretty interesting realization because uh, it's not again it's not something that I, I think I wanted to realize at the time mm-hmm. because like I said like I've always been interested in tattooing but thinking about when I got tattooed the circumstances leading up to me making that decision and just the foolish choices about the tattoos that I wanted to get. like my first tattoo I got because I had 60 bucks like let's say oh. it's like oh why'd you get that too I had 60 bucks <laughs> like okay cool like there's no other and then i made up a meaning to it after i got it because like i can't tell people that i I got it because i only had 60 dollars no so yeah it just it's it's very funny to me and you know i can talk about it now and just laugh at myself it's like man i had such blinders on to a lot of things Mm -hmm. and what i convinced myself were the reasons that i was doing these things like you couldn't even you know a salesman you could sell ice to an eskimo like that old saying so you couldn't even convince them that that was the truth <laughs> it's like how are you convincing yourself <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's good but i mean like having those realizations it's uh it lifts a, an immense amount of weight you know etheric you know energetic weight and it just kind of clears out all that dead space that you're holding for something that just doesn't matter and it allows more positive more more things to enjoy and just be grateful for it in daily life 100 percent. oh well said there jared moving on we've kind of touched about the whole current social climate and how tattoos are generally more and more accepted so what are your thoughts on the current industry and where do you see the majority of this industry evolving towards like i understand we talked about how with our current generation and more and more there's less people willing to put in the hard work because you know maybe do yeah the instant gratification of dopamine and all that stuff. Like, you know, we we're, we're lacking patience, whatever, but in, yeah. a, in another sense, like, do you feel that many tattooing techniques, skills, tattooing processes, like, do you feel like a lot of the, the foundations of the tattoo culture are being phased out or losing significance due to the rise of popularity in this industry? Um, I think technological advancements yeah. make it a lot easier for more people to do. So mm-hmm. when I when I did my apprenticeship, it was all coil machines. There were rotaries around. Like rotaries have been around for a hundred years plus. Yeah. But the technology with rotaries didn't match how much better the coil setup was. So coil, it's an electrical system that generates magnetism and it pulls the action forward, which creates the tattoo process. So the oscillating process of the tattoo machine. Rotaries, I mean you use a cd player as a rotary because the little center spins and just wherever you put you know your uh wherever you put your grommet to run Mm -hmm. the machine indicates how much stroke length you get so i mean the technology is really simple with rotaries but coil machines you actually needed to know how to build them properly how to tune them how to set them up your spring weight your spring tension all relate to how your machine runs Mm -hmm. um the, even the geometry of the frame, how long your coils are, if you have coil shims, if you have a yoke on your coil to use smaller coils at all. Like there's so much to know about it, about the coil machines. And I feel like the coil machines, if you didn't know how to maintain them or set them up or to build them, yes, it kind of weeded a lot of people out that couldn't use a broken machine to tattoo. 
So there was less home tattooers. There was less bargain basement tattooers. There was less of the underground side beyond the professional shops and professional, you know, tattooers. Yeah. Because they knew how to build machines. They knew how to tune them. They knew how to run them. And for somebody to, to get a machine off of some dude in a back alley and tattoo their buddies, like it was generally trash. The machines overheated. They ran poorly. There was so much that could go wrong with them. Yes. Unless you just maintain them. And maintenance is like three seconds before you start a tattoo. Once they're tuned and set up, three seconds before you start tattooing, just to clean the carbon off the contact points. Like that's it. But the process of learning what certain, even the weight of your armature bar, which carries the needle, mm-hmm. that would play into effect of how quickly the machine runs, how much driving force is behind it. There's so many little things. Like if you have your coil at the bottom, shimmed too far away it's going to be inefficient it's going to generate heat so it's like ah, there's just so much to know and i feel like that technology Mm -hmm. kept bad tattooers away or people that didn't want to seek a proper apprenticeship because they just didn't know how to operate or if something broke nobody would fix it for them because like who the fuck are you yeah and uh i bought a tattoo machine off of amazon for 60 bucks and (sighs) like it was ridiculous and like the only reason i bought it is hilarious to me is because in the ad for it Yes. It had the machine photoshopped onto a person and it was their arm and it was claiming superpower tattoo machine. <laughs> just like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> I have to see what this is all about. So I bought it and it was garbage. It still did an adequate job. Like yeah. plug and play. As soon as you get it, you could turn it on and start stabbing people and you could buy needles and you could buy ink and all this low quality stuff off of these retailers that don't require you to prove that you're in a shop and have a portfolio and you're a professional. Mm -hmm. Like I remember in I think 2005, when I first started my apprenticeship, I had to get an artist to prove that they worked at a shop and I was the apprentice to order a trade journal. Oh, wow. It's called Tattoo Artist Magazine. They wouldn't sell me the magazine unless I proved to them that I worked in a shop. And because I was just an apprentice, I didn't have a portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I had to get one of the artists there to essentially order it for me. And like that needs to, that needs to happen more. Like that needs to have There's too much of this like, oh, we can make money off of it because it's popular. And then there's no filter about who gets it. And I think that that lends more towards you know, like one of my, one of my clients came in when I was finishing up his arm. He's like, oh, I tattooed myself. What? Oh, like, no. yeah, my buddy has a machine. So I was at a house party and I tattooed my hands. Like, oh, there's a lot of things wrong with that sentence. <laughs> at a house party, your buddy's tattoo machine, you tattooed yourself. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Hopefully everything was disposable and you opened it out of a fresh pack. He's like, well, I don't remember. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Like, what'd you do with everything when you were done? Well, I don't know. I just left it. Next time you go over to your friend's house, do us a favor. It's like, what's that? It's like, grab that machine and bring it here so we can throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, I think the technological, to touch on your question. So, I think the technological advancements and the profitability of the popularity make it too easy for people to get into it that don't do the proper or take the proper steps to earn an apprenticeship from a reputable artist to even take bloodborne pathogens and cross-contamination courses Mm. to learn 
because I mean, because essentially you're, you're doing microdermal implants, you're implanting pigment particles under the skin. So there's cross-contamination is a factor. Infections are a factor. There's so much that could go wrong if you're just ignorant to it. You know, like even cleaning up, I remember when I was telling or instructing, I guess, new employees or new tattooers, when you're doing a teardown, you have a clean hand and a dirty hand. Just because you can't see that it's dirty doesn't mean that it's not dirty. Like if you put ketchup all over one of your hands and you start touching things, what's going to happen is you're going to get ketchup everywhere. Yeah. But if you're only touching things that already have ketchup on on those items with your ketchup hand, cool. That's what they're for. And then you can clean the ketchup off. But if you touch something that's clean with your ketchup hand or touch something with ketchup with your clean hand, you're going to cross-contaminate and everything is dirty. So you're going to have to tear your machines apart. You're going to have to disassemble everything to clean it properly for the next person. So you really have to be mindful of what hand is clean and what hand is dirty when you're doing your teardown. So it's just, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of information to know. And I feel like a lot of it is being ignorantly ignored. Yes. Because they just simply don't know that they need to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And that's where seeking the proper guidance, information, education is vital to, you know, the industry going in a, in a positive direction. Yeah. Speaking of which, so do you find that a lot of artists, not necessarily like tattoo artists, but let's say, you know how you, you mentioned you started with drawings, right? When you were young, yeah. like a lot of artists, whether it's, it could be one from one scope of art, whether if they're watercolor or acrylic or canvas painters to like making um, metal work or, you know, doing a hobby, like something that you do is, you know, using skulls and honoring the animals and actually paint, like, you know, making them into clocks or anything like that do you find that like this profession tends to attract a lot of artists from different other fields or branches because of the money as well honestly if people are in it for the money they should quit yeah that's that's my opinion i know a lot of other artists share that opinion tattooing in itself has roots in history and like you said like rite of passage so there's a lot of other things you can do for money and if your sole approach is to make money tattooing then you're not going to be focused on developing your skill to put forth the best quality product. You're going to be focused on how many clients you can get in and out that day. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like the focus is going to be numbers and volume instead of, you know, spending 10 hours on a drawing and then maybe spending five hours to tattoo it. You know what I mean? So like you're getting paid for the five hours, but you spent 15 on it. Yeah. So I, th- I th- the money does attract people. Yes, for sure. But like I said, I think if money is the reason that you tattoo, you should quit and do something else. Like go work on the oil, on the pipelines, go work somewhere else, you mm-hmm. know, become a welder. Cause like welders make crazy money if they have their own truck or if they're doing rig welding or if they're, you know, like even, even welding in a shop, you make decent money yeah. and you're not influencing the daily lives of everybody that sits in your chair. Yeah. That's well said. I definitely agree with that too. And I guess when you shared your story of your client, I that, that brought up like a, a, a little story of mine. I didn't realize the whole degree of it at the moment, but I was at a house party with, with a really good friend of mine. And I'm not yeah. sure if I've ever told you this in person, but yeah, I was at a house party and this is like 3 a.m. at night. And this one this one person decides to get a shark bomb or shark, yeah, a shark bomb tattooed on their knee. 
And it just so <laughs> happens this another person happens that happens to have a tattoo gun. And yeah. like like you said, it, it was like a complete shit show. Like this guy's like loading up on out, like he's drinking Hennessy and just he's just he's already yeah. drunk, but he's like drinking more. Everybody's like crowding around, like breathing in the space, and you know, they're everybody's I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of a lot of his close friends were taking turns, like you know, eating, like basically inking him in. And yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. When you shared your story, that just reminded me of that experience, and that was a very <laughs> interesting night. And I was like, oh man, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, like it's uh, uh. <laughs> it's it's crazy. But speaking of money, money though, like it, it's fair to say you get what you pay for. And I feel that a lot of individuals don't realize that you're not just paying for the tattoo artist to tattoo yeah. ink. Like you mentioned, like you're also paying for the time that they take outside of the tattooing hours for them to draw, to plan. Like there's a lot of, that, that, there's a lot that goes into the process that many, many of us don't see yeah. or don't understand. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, especially with large scale tattooing, one yeah. of the biggest things that you wouldn't even consider is learning anatomy Ooh. human anatomy so muscle structure shape form it's yeah. all different in every client so if i draw a sleeve for you yes it's not going to fit the same way as a sleeve on somebody your size but with bigger or smaller arms mm -hmm. it's learning the structural anatomy of the basic flow and shape of the body and applying it on an individual side to the one client wants you to do it for them there's a lot a lot of information especially if you want to take it seriously and uh do well fair to say like for someone walking in getting their first tattoo one of the tips is like don't haggle because like i i would assume yeah. if you haggle you're gonna piss a you're gonna piss off your tattoo artist b yeah you don't you don't even know what might get tattooed on your piece yeah right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, there's a few stories about that. <laughs> um, so when I when I first started, I was in my first couple of years. This guy yeah. comes in, and he's like, "How much for this tattoo?" It's like, "Oh, it'll be two fifty." It's like, "Hey, man, you want to give me a deal?" I'm like, who the fuck are you? I'm thinking in my head, like, who the fuck are you? Like, I don't know you. You've done nothing for me. You're not one of my buddies. You're you're not like this. Isn't something that I haven't done before to the extent where let me try this and I'll knock off some price. So I said to him like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to do a good tattoo with straight lines. You're not going to need a touch up and I'm going to charge you what I quoted you. So you go, okay. Uh, okay. That's fair. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So that one, that one was good. Like he, he got it. I think he was just trying to see if he could pay less. Yes. And that's fair. Like, I mean, with any, any trade, any commerce, you, you generally, you know, you see a car for sale. It's like, Hey man, would you take less than what you're asking? Or, you know, it, it's, I want to say it's a fair thing to try, but with tattooing, if you know who you're going to get tattooed by, you know, the quality of their work, you've seen it in person, you've seen it on portfolios, you, you know, you've done your research, which I encourage everybody to do before they get a tattoo. Yeah. Do your research on the shop, on the artist, on what's expected, everything, everything around you sitting down to get that tattoo. You're not just going to walk into a, a backstreet shop and go get your boobs done just because yeah. the guy happened to be there and you were on vacation. <laughs> so, you know what? I think I'm going to get, I think I'm going to get some enhancements. You're not just going to go in because this guy does it. 
you're going to be diligent about your research because you want it to be proper. I think tattoos need to be approached that way too. Yeah. Like for me personally, it's like anybody that pulls like the, the family card or the friend card and this, I, I feel like this also relates to, you know, people asking for a deal. I feel like, you know, if let's just say yeah. if, if your family or friends are having like their own business or whatsoever, your goal is to support them, not ask for a deal. Like that's how I look. Yeah. At it. You want to support them. Like, yeah. go, go buy their products. Like, you know, like see, see if you like it or not, give them feedback, you know, but yeah. you know, like this whole deal thing, like ah, I, that, that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. And like, there's a, there's a quote that I've recently come across. Yeah is uh and i'm paraphrasing because i can't quite remember how the quote goes but it's in relation to starting a business and clients and friends Mm -hmm. so when you find when you start a business you find out your friends i can't quite remember but basically your friends won't become your clients and your clients will become your friends faster Mm. so like your clients will become your friends faster than your friends become your clients yeah and that's you know the basically what the message is and that and they're like man it's so true like it's so true everybody that i grew up with that i still communicate with you know it, it's not what do you charge per hour it's you know it, like that's not even a question it's it's almost like an expectation that i'm just going to do it because i've known them yeah and then i have clients that are more than happy to pay and then through our sessions and through the time that we spend yeah in that like it's I'd say I have more quality conversations with my clients than I did my friends growing up. Mm-hmm. And I've had clients that have become insanely good friends. And like, we hang out, we, you know, our kids hang out together. We go do stuff, you know, like it's, it's, it's weird, but it's, it's such a accurate statement that, you know, the people that you knew growing up, growing up and you start a business, those mm-hmm. people won't become clients as fast as clients will become your new friends. Yeah. Oh, so true. Yeah. So then out of like the blue, if you were presented an opportunity, like to pick any artist, living or dead to tattoo a piece piece on you, first of all, would you accept that opportunity? Absolutely. Cause I think uh, not every artist is capable of the same thing. Yeah. And not every artist has the same mindset. So mm-hmm. like, even for me, like I've been tattooed by people where I'm looking at the clock saying, fuck, I got two more hours <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's the opposite. I was like, holy shit. Like that was three hours already. Yeah. So those are the people that I would get tattooed by mm-hmm. or like the one that in particular that I'm thinking about would be sailor Jerry Collins. And he mm-hmm. was a tattooer in the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, I think he died in the 70s and uh, insanely intelligent. He actually wrote a book before he died and he never got to publish the book. But I think somebody that worked under him, uh, it was a woman. I think she either worked in a shop or was his apprentice. I can't quite remember. She got the publishing rights to that book and published a limited number of it. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I got to scoop that up. So I got I think I got issue 1004. Ooh, or 1009 nice. and it was published exactly the way that he left it with no corrections no modifications on his old shitty typewriter one of the note or one of the letters wouldn't work properly it was yeah. like scratch outs and you could see like where he wrote in something else to go in place of that but i think like if i was to get it wouldn't be 
one of the traditional like Horiyoshi three comes to mind as well. Mm-hmm. But I I think for like as far as where the tattoo industry, the art has come from in yes. North America, I feel he's solely responsible for bringing the Japanese ideology of doing coherent bodysuits and large scale pieces to North America with his correspondence to the Horiyoshis and his trips that he took to Japan and what he brought back with him. Yes. Um, and just like how intelligent the guy was, like I remember reading a, a portion of that book where he was in correspondence with, with physicians about cancer, the application of medicine for cancer, for skin cancer specifically. So he had a spot of skin cancer on his hand and he was using a topical cream that you would rub in, but it wasn't penetrating deep enough to actually get to the roots of the the cancerous, the cancer cells. So he thinks to himself, well, I'm just going to tattoo it in me because I mean, who better to experiment on than myself? And if it doesn't work, cool, I still got skin cancer. But if it does work, this is like, this is a complete revelation for application for this medicine that he can promote or suggest to the pharmacy or to, to the physician. Yeah. So he takes his little cream and he tattoos it into the cancerous spot after two weeks when the tattoo, when quote unquote, the tattoo itself healed or that process healed, the cancer came with it. Mm. So when the scab came off, the cancer came out with that scab. So it worked a hundred percent. So he wrote what he found to, to the physician and full stop no other correspondence there was no other investigation towards the effective application of the tattoo process to medicine and learning more about pharmaceuticals and their ideology of healed people don't make money and their whole plan as a business structure as a corporate structure is to make money so when you come up with a technique that works 100 Mm percent they're not interested in it they want you to keep buying that topical anesthetic because it'll keep it in the same spot and it won't allow it to progress but you still have to keep purchasing it so they're guaranteed more money which is a really sad thing i think there's a lot of miracle cures quote unquote that have been suppressed because it's not profitable to make people healthy it's just really unfortunate but like that that kind of stuff and like he had correspondence and he, he had a lot of like theories and and mechanical designs for revolutionizing the tattoo machine and just you know like all that kind of stuff is like i would love to sit down get a three-hour tattoo from that guy and just pick his brain because i think i would come out of there with a completely different view on a lot of stuff he definitely sounds like he he not only was he a pioneer but he had a big role to play with within or he had given a lot to the tattoo industry of what yeah. it currently is now yeah any specific piece that you would want done like <laughs> anything no in i'd say any anything that he wanted to do like he was a traditional tattoo artist yes so a lot of his stuff like you, you see like the sailor jerry rum on the shelves and stuff like i'm sure you've come across it yeah um, that's not affiliated with him specifically okay. but the girls like the artwork that is on the insides is stuff that he did Mm. so it's not actually sailor jerry's rum it's not the rum that he drank it's just marketed as sailor jerry rum is the trademark logo name but the artwork that they show on the inside of the labels that you can collect was his artwork so they had they had the rights to some of his pieces but i think yeah like one of his one of his girls because that's like one of the things that he's 
known for but at the same time whatever he wanted to tattoo on me i would be 100 percent happy with that'd be such an honor yeah yeah for myself i personally look at the process of a tattoo it's super symbolic to me you know like i mentioned earlier it's like a rite of passage i i believe it's also to the point where it ties to an individual's identity now speaking of identity i believe like in a lot of earlier civilizations tattoos are in fact a form of identity regardless if it's if it was associated with negativity or positive recognition, you know, like it could be yes. positive recognition, such as courage, honor, kill count, valor, yeah. etc. So when it comes to paying homage or looking into the stories of earlier civilizations, like, are there any civilization tattoo origin stories that you can think of that really resonates with you or you find incredibly fascinating that aligns with the theme of identity? I, I would say like the Polynesian or Maori. Okay like every single tattoo that they get is specific to like in in regards to Maori, their tattoos are in relation to events tied to their life or achievements, accomplishments, that kind of thing. The Polynesian, I'm not too familiar with. I did more of a deep dive into the Maori, but the, like the Polynesians, I know they would get the most painful parts of their bodies tattooed first. Ooh. And again, as a rite of passage, right? Like you're getting your kidneys, your inner thighs, your lower abdomen, like all those are high on the pain scale. And yeah. I think that's just like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to me. It was like, okay, you got more balls than I do for sure. Cause I'm terrified <laughs> to get that done. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, no, you want to start on my kidneys? I'm better get me a diaper because I'm probably going to shit all over the place. <laughs> just uh wow quick random question top five most yeah. painful places in, to get tattooed in your opinion uh my palm okay your palm sternum Ooh. solar plexus yeah i'd say like that is one area like one area is like i guess the core it's like just underneath the pecs yeah um and the center so like your solar plexus sternum area mm-hmm. um armpit wasn't bad I'm just trying to think like the worst. I think a lot of it also. Oh, inner thigh. Oh, the for oh, sure. Yeah, the inner thigh. Okay, yeah, I agree with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fingers. Oh, the fingers. Yeah. Oh, I would not have expected that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So like the palm, I'd say was the hundred percent the worst one that I got. Yeah. But again, it, it, I think it all comes down to like who's tattooing you and how they're tattooing you as well. But uh, yeah, I'd say that's a, for me, that's my list of the most painful spots that I've been tattooed. Yeah. Like I have the sides of my head tattooed, a little bit of my face. And like, honestly, that was very easy compared to my fingers and my palm and oh, uh, the, the tattoos that I have on my sternum and solar plexus. Like, yeah, those are pretty rough too. Because like you... you a lot of it is breathing. Yeah. And if you're having your chest pounded, you can't really breathe properly. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it's 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 a different uh it's a different level to have that stuff done. I, I wouldn't say like my full inner thigh was done, but I remember when you were working on my inner thigh, I was like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it wasn't like that that the inner thigh area that was p- painful. It was more so like when you were you were tattooing the inner thigh it was my organs like the pressure point yeah. were fucking me up i'm like oh my yeah. goodness like you're tattooing yeah, me on my leg and yeah 
like I can feel it in my appendix and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's another interesting thing about tattoos is when you're okay with where the tattoo is being done, you're open to everywhere else that you will actually feel it where the pain is being sent. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's super interesting. Like when I had the sides of my head tattooed, I remember there was one part just above my ear on my temple Yes. Where it felt like he had like a sharp needle on the inside of my right nostril and he was just applying slow pressure to it. Oh. Like just weirdest thing. Cause like you're nowhere near my nose. So why do I feel that in the tip of my nostril? Like you're like slowly pulling a hair out, you know, like really sharp, oh, intense, God. like it brings tears to your eyes. Like yeah. that's just in the one side. And then <laughs> when I had the other side done on my left side, there was one part where I felt it on the inside of my eye socket against my nasal cavity. Oh yeah, like this, oh. like at the back of my eye against my nasal cavity is where I felt the tattoo. I'm like, this is neat, but it it wasn't painful. It was just a really weird sensation, but it was almost like a fluttery vibration. That weird. sounds like yeah, mysterious. <laughs> wow, I don't even know what to think of that. I don't even know how to process that. <laughs> yeah, just, I've noted that down. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the next thing I kind of want to talk about is tattoo folklore, you know, and tattoo folklore yeah. and legends and traditional tattoos <clears throat> and origins. And one thing I find incredibly fascinating are the origin stories and legends and cultural folklore that are often found in forms of tattoos. Like, for example, you know, yeah. like examples such as American tr- traditional in the sailor cultures, like you mentioned, uh, Sailor Jerry, you know, yeah. in Asian cultures, there's like the Koi Gate, Dragon Gate, there's the Kappa folklore, Raijin, uh, in, yeah. in a lot of Aboriginal cultures, you have like the rain, the raven and the clamshell, you have Greek mythology, yeah. Polynesian tattoos, the list goes on and on. So I found that during my process of coming to you, I found like, I didn't know about the whole story of the Kappa. And I've had an inkling, like this is only just scratching the surface because there's actually so much more depending on what style of tattoo you want to get. Right. So what are some of these stories that have like, that have, that you have seen captured in form of tattoos that fascinate you the most, whether if it's the theme, the underlying meaning, et cetera. I don't think there's really anything specific. Okay. It's more of like just a general, like, you know, the old sailors would get a, a swallow and a star tattooed for starboard and port mm. because, you know, there was a theory that they were uneducated and they couldn't tell the difference between right and left. And then, oh, you know, you look <laughs> at, uh, you know, like if you learn about pirate culture from, you know, the 16, 1700s, yes. um, those were ex-military. So they were well-organized, well-educated men that were, once there was no need for them from the government or from the royalty or their, their commanders or their kings, they were sent away. Like, we don't need you guys. We're not going to, you know, they were basically like the old war veterans of today where they're just kind of brushed to the side. So they become pirates. But there are some, are some stories that I've read, which are like really, really cool. Like there's one, I remember, I can't remember the whole story because, again, it's been years, like over 10 years since I've actually read the story. But it was in regards to an American tattoo artist who was really good at Japanese dragons. And then he noticed one day that this old Japanese fellow kept coming by his shop because everybody around town, he's the best at dragons. He's the best at dragons. So this old guy would come around his shop and just hang out and watch him tattoo. And so this artist is like, you know, finally he gets to the point where he's like, you know, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm watching to see if you're actually the best at dragon tattoos. So the artist gets like, 
little miffed. He's like, well, yeah, of course I am. Like, I've been doing it for so long. And like, can't you see? Like, these are better than everybody else's dragon. And it was kind of an arrogant approach to it. And so the old old man would just go, hmm, okay. And he would just walk away. And that would frustrate the artist because he's like, well, like, this guy not think I'm the best? Like, how can he not think I'm the best? Like, look at my artwork, this and that. So yeah. this happened over a period of several days, weeks, whatever you want. And so finally, one day, the artist followed the guy to his house. Yeah. The guy invited him in and his house was covered in books and literature. Like every single room had books, stacks of books on tables, books on bookshelves. And they had a conversation. And he's like, to give a shorter version of the story, because I can't quite remember all the details. Yeah. The old gentleman told him that if you tattoo the dragon perfectly, the dragon will transform from an image into real life and fly away. So the guy's like, well, my dragons are perfect. And, you know, eventually the artist goes home and he can't stop thinking about this. He's like, like, what is it? Like, my dragons are perfect, but I've never seen one fly away. Like, they, they're not fly away they don't do that like they're, they're tattoos so there was one day he was tattooing he was doing the last session on the dragon and he sees the old guy and he's just like whatever he continues working and uh so the last touch so with dragons there's the uh, a theory or not a theory but more of like uh how you should go about it is you tattoo the eyes very last as like the last thing to do because the eyes bring the life to the dragon if you tattoo the eyes first then you know it kind of offsets the uh the energy to that image so he's tattooing and the last thing he does is the eyes and he turns around and looks at the old man and the old man just smiles nods his head and starts to walk away and as he looks back at his client he just sees the tail end of a dragon flying through his roof and his client is gone oh so yeah like like really really cool yeah and just like stories like that and like i'd say like a like more stories are uh like more aligned with japanese tattoos because mm-hmm. like every image you know you do a koi upwards it signifies you know the the strength of going against you know against the stream like swimming up the river to go to dragon skate to achieve that transformative transformative state of being transformed into a dragon which would be you know synonymous with life's life's trials and that kind of thing and never giving up whereas Mm -hmm. if you're swimming down downstream it's you know related to um like more going with the flow Mm -hmm. and going where it takes you kind of thing instead of the perseverance of struggle it's Mm -hmm. more of like like a more relaxed approach to it yeah. even colors are different blue and black or like a masculine father figure like there's just so much to it it's it's uh i'd say it's one of the most heavily significant forms of art yeah in, in the sense of like there's so many images like every image has an origin has a reason has its backstory its current and its future like mm-hmm. and there's just like like i have a book it's like the traveler's guide to the yokai and it has you know a ton of different ones and it has like little write-ups like where they're from what their name is a breakdown of like their height their locomotion so like if they're quadrupedal or bipedal or stuff like that how to survive an encounter where to go find them all that kind of stuff and i'm flipping through it and i come across something i've never seen before or heard about in any story and it's called yazuki arai 
Okay. And it's just the little old dude that washes red beans in a river. That's it. That's it. <laughs> what yeah. does he do? He hums a disorienting song and washes red beans in a river. How many are there? Well, there's just the one. It's like, <laughs> oh. what? Yeah. Where, did, where did that come from? Like, and it's just like, like I, I love that shit. Whereas like the images, patterns, designs in say the Polynesian and Maori culture are significant to specific events, life, past, present, future, safety, like the Polynesian hook is safe travels over water. I'd say like the the cultural tattoos have significant roots in relation to their own cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just highly fascinated with Japanese. Like it's, yeah, it's, uh, incredibly interesting and there's just so much to learn and so much to know yeah it's it's almost bottomless it, oh. like if you actually dive into it like it's yeah there's so many stories there's so many different characters creatures you know like there's malevolent ones and there's ones that are just hanging out like there's like a filth liquor that just hangs out in dirty bathrooms like, <laughs> like yeah. yeah i don't know it's it's awesome yeah, sorry. the book The book you mentioned was it was called the Journey of Yokai, and Yokai is demon in Japanese, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, it's called Yokai Attack. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's Hiroko uh, Yodo and Matt Alt are the authors and writers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a little pocketbook. It's like yeah. a traveler's handbook of like what to look for, where to go, how to survive encounters. You know, like it's it's pretty good. It's like one of my favorite books that I bought on that subject, just because of how it's presented and just. Yeah, like there's so much relevant information and it's really concise, it's not convoluted and it's yeah, easy to understand and there's a ton of different ones. I've definitely heard about the dragon where with the dragons I've definitely heard like yeah, you you tattoo the eyes first. Um even for myself growing up from where I grew up in my environment, we looked at dragon tattoos as a way to identify what culture which or which which like ethnicity yeah. you are, right? So I was told because back back then, like I grew up in Vancouver in East East Van, and uh, you know there there was a lot of cultural barriers, and there was you know you were recruited at a very young age, or like you you would hang around your own usually your own uh, label quote unquote label right yeah and usually that associates with what you are race and whatever and yeah like, I remember one unfortunately of my, yeah and I remember one of my bigger brothers like telling me hey if you want to identify who's who's on our side or who's not or you can say they say like he, he told me the story of how like the dragons when you when you see individuals with dragon tattoos he told me and i don't i'm not sure if this is like you can vet you vet this for me tell me if i'm like misunderstanding this or not he mentioned that usually if you see a dragon with five toes or five fingers uh, yeah. or five claws that's usually sign of like a southern dragon so usually you see a lot of chinese individuals or vietnamese individuals yeah. with that and then as the dragon flew up north it got colder so they started losing toes so if if you, if you see a four fingered yeah. dragon or four claw dragon that's a way to identify that person is a korean or a three three yeah. finger dragon that person is a japanese person right so yeah um, i heard that and i that, like that story sticks to my mind it, and it's something like i can't like unsee right it's like if i see a dragon it's like okay i'm looking at its toes right off the bat how many you got yeah <laughs> yeah and what i found interesting about about that is in the Japanese culture, the farther a dragon travels away from Japan, yeah. it grows toes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at it from both sides, it all they're lines. all the same. Yeah. 
they're all the same. So Japanese dragons, you know, they travel more and they grow older. And did you know that Japanese dragons actually grow wings after a certain age? I, I remember hearing that. Yes. Yeah. Super cool. Like I didn't know that until I like went deeper into it and found more information. Yeah. Japanese dragons after I think 500 years will grow wings like a bird. It's like, why the fuck doesn't anybody tattoo them with bird wings head? Like I've never seen a dragon <laughs> tattoo with yeah. a set of wings on it. Like, ah, they must just be all young dragons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like with, with the toast thing, it's like, yeah, like within both cultures, how just how divided people are about where they're from and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But if you actually look at the explanations from both sides, it's really inclusive as far as like, we're all the same. Yeah. Just because we're from a different geological point or we look different or have different features, we're all the same. Like we're all children under the sun. Like we're all part of this earth and just these divisions and walls that are put up are Mm man-made. And really like when you look at the reason why they're put up, it's generally comes down to, I want to say selfishness and not, not, necessarily selfishness but just like ego yeah but then you look at the stories of the culture and the origins it's all the same like there's an explanation on both sides why things are the way that they are the chinese dragon loses toes because it's worn by travel or it's getting farther away from you know from its homeland Mm -hmm. and in a sense like i don't i think it it ceases to be what it was because of the travel and then on the other side you have this explanation of japanese dragons that because of the travel grow toes so that their feet are more robust and stronger to handle the journey and it's 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 really it's really neat and i just kind of wish people would see past you know their self-made constructs of separatist their views of being separate Mm -hmm. and just see like you know we're all humans we're all trying to figure shit out and i think artwork is a good you know, you look at a piece of artwork, you don't know who did it. You just know that an artist did it. It could be any culture, creed, religion in the world. And, you know, like art, I think, is a, a unifier in mm-hmm. a sense. You know, like I really, I like that aspect about it because it's just like, man, you get down to it. Like somebody created that and it doesn't matter what they look like. And I think for the longest time, kind of a side, aside to that, I didn't want people to associate my name with my artwork or not my name, my face with my artwork. So I was really like, don't take pictures of me. The artwork is what people should be concerned about. They'll get to know what I look like when they meet me to get it, to do a tattoo or to buy artwork. Yeah. I I never really thought about the reason why I never wanted to, to be my physical appearance to be associated with my artwork until actually this conversation was kind of neat. That's so interesting. And I, I love how you shared that perspective because I, I feel that this perspective is not very commonly shared, period. They say like food is something that's very similar like that, right? Where you can share a meal with someone, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But I feel very strongly about that, especially with art, especially with music. Yeah, It, it really, like you said, it, it's so powerful. And I can like just sharing on my end, I can tell you the like I've, it's because I moved to Edmonton from Vancouver, away, away from Vancouver, where I've started to, you know, break down these views and I- ideals of, you know, the separatists and, you know, it, it's, yeah, you know, it feels like, oh, that we're against them or they're purposely against us. But no, like you said, we're all as one, like, 
we originate yeah we may look different whatsoever but essentially we're all on the earth like we have our goals and dreams just like everybody else has right yeah yeah thank you for sharing that jared yeah and it's super yeah super neat i love the folklore the legends and all that stuff yeah I think last thing I'll share is about the piece that you did for me and the introduction of another yokai, which is the Kappa. And on my piece, it's supposed to resemble like one of the obstacles that I've had to overcome. And for context of my listeners, I got a leg sleeve done by Jared. The reason it was done on my leg is my leg is my very foundation. Specifically, this leg sleeve is on my left leg. It's basically the koi swimming upstream concept, right? It's swimming upstream against the current up the waterfall. And there's also got three types of obstacles. Initially, I came to you because I wanted them to be like rocks. And yeah. and I remember you mentioning to me like rocks, like you could do rocks, but like rocks are just, you know, rocks. <laughs> like why not make it interesting, right? Or more interesting. <laughs> I'll, I'll add a little bit more flavor to it. And uh, yeah, I took your advice and yeah, I'm so glad I did. And the three obstacles being, well, the first one is like the octopus. The second one is the kappa. And the third one is like the frog, right? So, and I guess I wanted to specifically share about the Kappa because one thing that really resonated with that is, well, from what you told me is that the Kappa is a demon. I believe it it lives in the swamps and it's known for yeah. killing human beings and specifically children. And it's, it's yeah. like a story to get children from playing away from the water, right? Or away from those, away from that environment. One thing I found super fascinating and it really resonated with this is like it, a when you approach or when you come across a kappa because the, the way the cap is constructed or the demon is it's got like a bowl on top of his head hold holding holding some water from where it's born and that's a that's like its source of water right or source of power i mean and if i remember correctly yeah like if when you approach a kappa the kappa is known to be respectful like you bow to it so then the kappa the theory is that the kappa will bow back to you and all that power or that water in it in the bowl of its head would kind of spill out so i find that very fascinating too and i think like i remember you saying too like if you give a cucumber to it with your name engraved on it like that's also another way of saying like you giving or you having power over it yeah if they if they accept it yes then it's okay. uh yeah it's like it's like the exchange so they won't attack you oh man it's slipping my mind like the the but it basically like you can have safe travels wherever that kappa is because they recognize you as as an equal or a superior so they go from an aggressor to you know what's what's the opposite of that aggressor um a pass no i don't want to say pass pa- passivist the passivist is yeah i guess so instead of being aggressive they're passivist uh, so they're very passive so you know they recognize you but they won't mess with you or attack you or anything like that so yeah it's uh super neat and you can repel them with farts which i think is hilarious (laughs) (laughs) yeah jared i want to thank you for your time we're about to wrap up the podcast here and i have three more questions for you that i ask every single one of my guests first question i have is is there one book or resource you would recommend to our listeners that was most impactful to you and your development in becoming who you are today oh Boundaries. It's a good one. Boundaries. Okay. Do yeah. you remember who it's by? Oh, if not, it's cool. I can, I can Google it and I'll put it in the episode descriptions below. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, shoot. I can't remember. That's all good. I cannot remember like that kind of helped me realize healthy boundaries versus unhealthy boundaries. And that related to a large portion of my life where, you know, if you don't establish boundaries, people will walk all over you. 
It's yes. like having a yard and not putting up a fence and you get mad when everybody treads on your grass. It's like yeah. that fence is that boundary, right? Yeah. And people that are upset by that fence, well, you shouldn't be letting them walk on your grass anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was super helpful. I mean, in for the physical, for relationship side, mindset wise, developing the leader within by John Maxwell. Ooh, that yes. one was a really good read. Uh, super smart dude. Um, like self-confidence, that kind of thing, like getting back to your true self. Yeah. Um, and then like there, there's so many books, like the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Masashi. There's another book that's mentioned in that book written by somebody else. So for those that don't know, Masashi was a ronin samurai. He left his home at age 13, had 62 duels in his life, mm. never lost one. By yeah. the time he was 30, so like quite a lot until he was 30. And then he wrote the book after he climbed a mountain in his 60s. So on that side, he was a Ronin that wrote this book on military strategy, but as a way to apply it in everyday life and business dealings, it's actually mandatory reading material for business school in Japan. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like it's, it's pretty neat. And then uh, the other book that was written at the same time by another guy wrote it based on his military experience. So Masashi was the side of the Ronin, like the, you know, self-guided. And the other guy wrote it from the side of, you know, being, being in the Japanese military. So two different perspectives about the same thing. I haven't read the other book, so I can't really mm. give any insight onto it, but I'm going to, because I feel like because it's mentioned, it'll have a lot of relevant information in there from a different perspective. I mean, learning about your energy. Oh, what was it? The Lotus in the city is oh, a really yeah. good one. I can't remember who that one's by, but it's basically about the city you build in your mind as you're growing up and the subconscious structures that are built and you know, the first seven years of your life and how you exist in that city for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's really good because it, it kind of teaches you how to remodel that city, so to speak mm-hmm. uh, in your mind and refocus a lot of value in that one too. Another one, it's a book on the seven laws of hermetic principles. I wouldn't consider myself traditionally religious in yeah. a sense, but the laws in that book, so the seven laws, so there's a law of polarity, law of gender, the rest escape me. They're very relevant. <laughs> um, so <laughs> all good. So the, the pendulum effect they yeah. mentioned in that. So like with the life's highs, there's also life lows, but you can utilize the other laws of the universe that exist to basically elevate yourself from the pendulum so that you don't experience the lows. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really really good book it's a short book i think it says six dollars on amazon and it's written by the three initiates like for anybody any belief background there's value in that book because it doesn't talk about religion it doesn't talk about specific things other than the laws of the universe which we all operate by you know they do talk about god like the creator the source of everything they talk about the the concept that our infinite experience of time is in in relevance to the one as as they refer to it i think it's the all sorry the all for us from our perspective because you know we're a lot smaller than obviously whatever created or however we got here um, our perspective of time is is seemingly infinite so it is is really really interesting and i feel like there's something in that book that's going to resonate with pretty much everybody that reads it even if they don't think that they would, 
like there's stuff that I realized throughout my life that I utilized these principal laws. And then once I read about it, I was like, oh yeah, it made me think of that experience. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. I've done that. <laughs> cool. And then it just kind of like gets you thinking about things in a different way. And just like, you know, again, with understanding the pendulum, like with all the highs and the lows, and then with the existence of these other laws, utilizing one of them to basically bypass the low part of the pendulum so that you maintain that higher perspective and that positive perspective. Mm-hmm. And again, not about the positive thought because bad shit happens all the time, right? It's yeah. just maintaining your position of positivity and just kind of rolling with the punches and just going with the flow and just accepting it instead of getting stuck in that mm-hmm. negative and then allowing that negative even when the pendulum swings back to the positive to focus only on the negative. It's like, you know, you're on a roller coaster, but you're constantly looking at the back where you started. You don't get to enjoy what's in front of you, you know? Yeah. Definitely noting that those books down. (laughs) Moving on to the second last question I have is what do you think is the most important thing for an individual if they were to encompass the first generation meaning? Now, when I say the meaning of first generation, like I define it as someone who has paved their own path and definition of success on their own terms, no matter the obstacles, the hardships, the negativity yeah. they've had to overcome, they've had to endure, right? And I also find it, like, I guess to tie it to like the Oxford Dictionary, I believe that everybody yeah. may have similar journeys in life, but no one walks the exact same path. So yeah. hence why I believe everybody is or has the capability to be a first generation in their own terms based on this kind of metaphorical meaning in your eyes. And what do you think is one thing that is very critical or crucial to, for someone to embody this meaning? I would say pursue your dreams. Yeah. And don't listen to people that want to steal them because there's going to be a lot, you know, like there's very few people that you can tell good news that'll actually be happy for you. Yes. But the ones that are happy for you that want to celebrate with you, mm-hmm. those are the ones that you should surround yourself with. The people that aren't happy or that speak negativity into it, oh, that's not going to work. Why are you going to try that? Do you know how hard that's going to be? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, like you're not going to do anything that you've never done before because it's going to be easy because you wouldn't learn anything. Yes. So I think the, the most important thing is don't let the crabs that want to stay in the bucket keep you from getting out of it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's, that, that is so powerful. And um, not only is it so powerful, I think it's so valuable, especially in our current day and age, especially with a lot of these social scripts or, you know, social influences, whether it's through social media or the news and whatsoever, right? So thank yeah. you for sharing that, Jared. Yeah, of course. Last question I have for you is where can we or our audience find you on social media? Like where can they find more details about you or your work online? Work. We have a shop Instagram, handmade tattoo CA. Okay. At at handmade tattoo CA, I guess on Instagram. Okay. Uh, We have a website, handmade tattoo.ninja, I believe. I, I love that dot ninja. <laughs> I know. I know. Like we, we couldn't get a com or a CA. Yeah. And there was a couple options. Like we got to do ninja. Like we got to do ninja. Dude. It's the best one. <laughs> I, I, I think that is so brilliant because the fact that you said dot ninja, I know that's going to stick in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. 
Okay, so for our listeners and our audience, I'll be noting everything that Jared has mentioned in our podcast episode description below. So be sure to check those out. And Jared, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It is an honor to have you on. And I am just amazed. And I'm just so honored and privileged to just have you as my tattoo artist and just to have met you. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you having me on and thinking that I can uh, contribute to what you have. Like you've had quite the experience yourself. And uh, I just, I love that you do stuff like this to help promote healthy mindset and help get people to change. Like, I mean, for me, like some of the stuff that I've heard, is just like a completely different perspective that you might not have come across especially it's hard to see light when you're surrounded by dark yes but you know like i said the perspective allows you to refocus and just think about things in a different way so that maybe well you just had your back turned to the light so you change your observational spectrum and you refocus on something else and and that could be like the starting point to completely changing the direction of your life and it's just, I think there's a lot of value in what you do and oh, yeah. I appreciate being able to contribute. Uh, thank you, Jared. I, I appreciate that a lot. And yeah, like I, you nailed it on the head, man, perspective. And it's not necessarily saying like you, you have to agree with the perspective, right? But literally it's perspective, yeah. right? So it's, yeah, yeah, you nailed it right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take what you can and leave everything else. If it works for you, run with it. If it doesn't, you don't got to care. hundred percent. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generations Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.